Welcome everyone to today's devotion. We're in Revelation chapter 16, and we are looking at um, a, a chapter familiar to a lot of us, particularly because of the reference to Armageddon at, near the end. But we've been anticipating this chapter for quite a while. Remember that uh, Revelation has 21 judgments of, of, of emphasis, the first being seven um, seven seal judgments, the seventh opening up seven trumpets, and then the seventh trumpet opens up the seven bowls. And so uh, between the seven trumpets and the seven bowls, we have quite a quite a gap here with a lot of details. We meet the beast and the dragon, the woman and the child, and, and a lot, lot of things like that. But in chapter 16, we actually have the bowl judgments being poured out. You remember what we said uh, last week before Christmas, that uh, those bowls may be connected uh, to to the prayers of the saints. So what you have is God receiving the incense bowls, uh, the bowls full of incense, and is now, in response to the prayers of the martyred saints, pouring out his wrath upon um, the inhabitants of the earth. Um, some will see it being poured out in Rome, some see it poured out in Jerusalem, some will see it in, in the future New Babylon, whatever. Um, different approaches to, to Revelation. We've tried to be somewhat neutral on in our interpretation of some of this. So verse 1 begins it. So an angel uh, or a voice from the temple says, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. And from there, we, we, we get the seven bowls. And we see a pattern. It'll say the first angel, second, third, whatever, uh, poured out the bowl on, and then there's a different location that the bowl is being poured out on. Uh, the first one is the earth, and then the sea, um, so, so the salt water sea, the fresh water rivers and springs. Uh, then we have the fourth angel pours it out against the sun. And then, and then those are all natural, of course. And then we get uh, uh, more supernatural places. We get the throne of the beast. And then we get a reference to the great river Euphrates. We'll, we'll talk about that. Um, and then the uh, seventh bowl pours it out on, on the temple. Um, so, so we see that each bowl targets a specific area of life, whether physical or supernatural life. So let's start with the first one. First one, the bowl is poured out on the earth, and which you get a harmful, painful source came upon the people. This is verse two, who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Now um, you may already notice here some parallels. Um, you remember that the trumpets. In fact, if you were to take the seven bowl trumpets and the seven uh, uh, or the seven trumpet judgments and the seven bowl judgments, you're gonna find a lot of parallelism. Remember the trumpet judgments? Um, some of them were taken straight from the Egyptian plagues from Exodus. The bowl judgments do the same thing. Here's one right here where you have harmful, painful sores upon the people. What you also get between the trumpets and the bowls is that the location of the judgments are largely the same. The first trumpet was on the earth. The first bowl is on the earth. The second uh, trumpet is on the sea. The second trumpet is, or second bowl is on the sea. So on and so forth. It really is for, for all seven of them. Um, what is different between the trumpets and the bowls is the extent of the judgment. You remember that with the trumpet judgments, a third of the earth was affected. A third of the sun was affected. A third of the sea was affected. Now it seems to be in more totality. So you get that this bowl is poured out on the earth and harmful, painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. We talked about the mark of the beast uh, uh, last week, so I don't want to uh, go back over that. But this clearly parallels the uh, one of the the Egyptian plagues, in that that there too, um, um, painful sores and boils were 
were, were upon the, the Egyptians. Second angel, there in verse 3, um, poured it out against the sea. Uh, and uh, it became like blood of a corpse. Every living thing died that was in the sea. So that's that's salt water. The th- third bowl is on fresh water, and they're very similar. Uh, here it's river springs of water, and they became blood. Well, uh, I see these as, as really uh, in two bowls you get one major judgment. I've got some exegetical reasons to say that. It seems that at least the first five bowls are essentially happens simultaneously. Verse 11 makes that pretty clear because it connects back to the first bowl. But the similarity between the second and third bowl of water turned to blood clearly is related to the first plague in Egypt where the Nile River was turned to blood. Um, and But this bowl gets a poem with it. We'll read part of it. Uh, the second half of verse 5 says, Just as you are, uh, just, as, just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. Now, the parallels with Egypt are all over the place here. Now, remember in Egypt, God is mocking um, the Egyptian gods. I do believe that's part of what's gone with the plagues. So they would essentially worship the Nile, or at least it was the source of life for the Egyptians. Certainly their, their economic drive was, was at the Nile River and has been throughout history. But the reason that the Nile River's turned to blood is because Pharaoh turned the Nile River into blood when he murdered all the infants and toddlers. So God is mocking Pharaoh. He says, if you want a river of blood, I will give you a river of blood. Something similar is happening here. Remember that much of Revelation is written to a persecuted people. And so um, they are suffering under um, the wrath of Rome or their local city, Ephesus, Pergamum, Thyatira, whatnot. And so now what you have in judgment is God saying that if you want to fill the streets and and, and the seas with blood, we will fill them with blood. All right, so, so this is an ironic judgment uh, upon the earth. Well, the uh, fourth bowl is in verse 8. It's, it's against the sun. And even though the location is the same as the fourth trumpet judgment, what comes out of it is the opposite. In the fourth trumpet, a third of the sun is darkened. Right? So you get darkness on the earth related to Egypt. Here's the opposite. The, the, the sun is, uh, the heat is turned up on the sun. And so it scorched the people with fire. So what you have is a type of hell, if you will. And it says, verse 9, they were scorched by the fierce heat. They cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent or give him glory. Essentially what you have here is global warming. Is, 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 it, is it okay to make global warming jokes yet? I don't know the rules. But um, what is important here is, despite what is now the fourth bowl judgment, the same theme we've seen throughout Revelation is the people refuse to repent. They know this is from God, and, and yet regardless, they do not recognize Him as God, nor repent. Notice that belief is not the same thing as faith. They believe it is from God, and they believe there is a God, and that God is just in His judgment. But they will not by faith uh, repent and turn to Him for salvation. The fifth angel pours out on the throne of the beast. Now, this is, um, as you can imagine, a matter of debate. What is the throne of the beast? Well, if you hold to a preterism view, that is that the events of Revelation are already fulfilled, 
then you're going to argue that the throne of the beast is Rome or Jerusalem, because that's where judgment is. If you hold to a futuristic view, you know, it could be a new Babylon. Uh, it could be, you know, America. I, mean, I don't know. Uh, but it's a future place. Or you can interpret as symbolic, just throne of the beast is where his, his power is, whatnot. Yet what is striking about this, not something I, I'd ever noticed before. That phrase, throne of the beast, is found earlier in Revelation. And that's found in chapter 13, yes, but it's found even earlier than that. And that is in chapter 2 with the letter to the church in Pergamum. There in chapter 2, verse 13, if you want to check me, he says that the throne of the beast is in their city. It's in Pergamum. Now, what I'm not saying is this is code for Pergamum. But remember that the book of Revelation is written to real Christians in the first century, particularly those in Asia Minor. So, it makes sense that John uses this imagery in his letter to them and later in the book to say, look, God's judgment on those who are persecuting you is coming, and it is coming soon, right? So, remember, this is my approach to Revelation. Could be wrong. I don't hold to... Everything happens in the future or everything happens in the past. What I think Revelation establishes is a pattern of God's judgment upon empires, upon oppressors, and upon the, 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 um, um, upon the wicked. And so, yes, I do believe this is referencing Rome. And part of that is referencing what's happening in Pergamum, because Pergamum is being affected by what's happening in Rome. I do think you can make an argument for Jerusalem uh, from a preterist view. But I also believe that this is a pattern we've seen throughout. Now, have we seen scorching heat and hailstones and, and you know, um, uh, rivers turn to blood? No. The point isn't the specificity all the time, but rather there is a pattern that God judges the wicked in this life and in the next. So, it, But nevertheless, it, 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 it is attached to the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged in the darkness. So the fourth bowl had to do with intense heat from the sun, now it is intense darkness, a darkness that is painful. So you see that they gnawed their tongues in anguish and they cursed God. And again, not repenting of, of their deeds. So this is clearly connected to Egypt. Now, I think the fourth bowl with the sun is connected to Egypt. It's just an opposite what, what happens. We have darkness uh, over there. But here you have clear darkness. Um, and that is obvious parallels to, uh, to Egypt. The sixth angel, a lot of debate regarding the sixth angel, so we're not going to be able to solve all the issues here, um, is the great river Euphrates uh, affects it. And its water was was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Now, a couple of things to note here. Um, the Euphrates River was a natural border between the east and the west. Okay? Um, and in the Roman Empire... It was the far eastern border. Okay? So really, you think of Israel. Israel's on the eastern side of the Roman Empire. Um, and they never really made it past Euphrates River. It's pretty typical of most ancient empires. Euphrates River was a natural border. At one time in history, it was, we could say, at least apocalyptically dried up. It was actually um, Cyrus. So you remember in Daniel, when the writing on the raw, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson, and that Beel, um, uh, Belshazzar died the next day. Well, that was from King Cyrus, and he was able to conquer Babylon quite quite easily. What he did was he he um, 
um, he didn't, the, the river didn't dry up. What he did was the same thing you do with dams, is, is, is you move the water elsewhere that will then allow you to, to dam up a river. It's essentially what he did. Uh, it's more complicated than that, but that's, that's good enough for our purposes here today. So I do believe that John is well aware of that historical event. And so he probably has that in mind. The Bible does this. It does it with the abomination desolation with the temple. We've talked about that in Matthew and in Luke. We'll talk about it next month with, with Mark. But um, th- that seems to be a picture that he has in mind here. The main thing is, is you have the kings from the east invading the west. Now, for those who have a preterist view of Revelation, again, that Revelation fulfilled in the first century, what they argue is that this refers to, I believe it's the Parthians, who uh, will eventually invade Rome. I think it's a possibility. I'm not sure it's a perfect fit, but we'll just roll with it. Others see this as, as, as a different battle. So whether the drying of the, of the river is literal or not is, is beyond our, our purposes. But notice what he, what, what he sees with the drying of the river in this sixth bowl. Coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet. Notice the repetition of out of the mouth. So what comes out of it is, is important, but the emphasis is the mouth. And so this is probably a reference to words that the false trinity of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet are speaking lies, blasphemies. Well, that's consistent with what we saw in chapter 13. Remember, Revelation is probably not chronological. You can disagree with me on that. That's fine. There's probably a cyclical chronology to it. So the description of what's coming out of the mouth of the false trinity is was introduced to us in chapter 13. Now, what comes out of their mouth? Verse 14. Um three unclean spirits like frogs. Now, if you read Left Behind series, they literally do this. So Nikolai, Carpathia, and the boys, um, they spew up frogs. I mean, it's... Hey, they sold a lot of books. I don't think that's the way we should be reading this. Frogs are not common in the Bible. I think they're only mentioned here in the New Testament and the plagues of Egypt in the Old Testament. But frogs are unclean animals. And so they became a uh, metaphor for unclean spirits. That's, that's what they do here. So yes, Egyptians had like uh, uh, divine beings with frog heads and, and whatnot. Um, but but it's, it's also for, for, for the Israelites, unclean creatures taking over an unclean nation. You have something like that happening here. What the dragon, the false prophet, and the beast are spewing is demonic. It is unclean. It is evil. So they are spreading blasphemies and, and whatnot. Um, so verse 14, they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God, the Almighty. Um, and then we get more information about this great battle. Verse 16, and they assemble them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Now, a lot of debate about this, so we're not going to be able to answer all your questions. I'm already going longer than, than I had originally intended, but I kind of knew we, this would be longer. Um, I don't know exactly what this battle is. The answer is going to depend on how you approach Revelation. If everything has already been fulfilled, it's likely a reference to the destruction of Jerusalem, right? Or it's to uh, the fall of Rome, which happened in the 4th century. So either one of those is, is possible, and everyone has their arguments for that. If you believe in the future Armageddon, what you're going to have, especially from a dispensationalist point of view, 
is that the Antichrist, along with his false prophet and Satan, are going to round up the armies of the world and wage war against Jesus. Um, pick whichever view you want. Um, and there's other options. What is fascinating to me is the name of the battle, Armageddon. Notice what he says there, that in Hebrew, it's called Armageddon. Now, the problem with the word Armageddon is not Hebrew. So what we do is we're trying to figure out what this word is. In the Greek, which is taken from the, which is supposed to be a Greek rendering of the Hebrew word, is Har Megiddon, which is probably, most think is, Har, which means mountain, of Megiddo. If you know your Old Testament, Megiddo shows up quite a bit. Um, two notable examples. One has to do with Josiah. I believe Josiah could have that king wrong. It's one of the good kings of Judah. The other is the story of Deborah and, and Barak, uh, um, the great battle there. Well, uh, that happened at Megiddo. Now, if it is Har Megiddo, which means mountain of Megiddo, the problem is Megiddo doesn't have a mountain. It's a plain, which is why a lot of battles have been fought there. You can line up army on one end and army on the other end and just go at it. And throughout history, there have been a lot of battles. I believe the Six-Day War um, between Israel and, and, and the Arab countries happened there. Don't quote me on that. 1967, was that the Six-Day War? I don't know. But anyways, um, so some will say that well, the mountain is Mount Carmel, where Elijah had his great battle against the prophets of uh, Baal and Ashtaroth. But I don't think any of that stuff matters. You can take it literally, you can take it symbolic. I, I don't think any of it matters. Um, the point is, is um, that judgment will come down in the form of this bowl upon the dragon, the false prophet, and the beast. And it will be God exercising that judgment. Okay. Remember that the beast and the dragon and everyone else are the primary, primarily involved in the um, persecution of the saints. Right. So whether it's a past event, future event, whatever. And then we get the seventh bowl. Um, it's poured out on, on the temple. Now, if the temple exists, uh, and that's what he's referencing, then the book of Revelation was written before AD 70. That's a possibility. I think it's written in the 90s. So um, those who hold to there's going to be a future temple. Okay. Uh, I mean, I, mean I, I don't know. Do with it whatever you want. Um a voice from the throne says, it is done. Now, what does that sound like? It sounds like Jesus from John's gospel proclaiming it is finished. John chapter 20. Um, but that's on purpose. It is very much on purpose. It reminds us of the cross. God's judgment was completed at the cross, right, uh, for the salvation of mankind. It is now completed um, um, here in, in Revelation. Okay. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, great earthquakes, such as there has never been since man was on earth. So great was the earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the city of the nation fell. God remembered Babylon the Great to make her drain the cup of wine in the fury of his wrath. Um, so what we get is hail, earthquake, all that sort of stuff. Again, parallels to Exodus. And then uh, it concludes with, they cursed God for the plague of the hail. It's interesting. It's not the earthquake, but for the hail. Um, so we see three times in a chapter with seven bowls, at least three times, they did not repent. In fact, they declared a war against God, and particularly against God's people. And it's given a battle name, Armageddon. So the point is, again, it's written to real people suffering under the oppression of, of a nation. 
And God promises he will rescue his people and he will bring judgment. And what did the song say about God's judgment? Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, the Omnipotent One, true and just are your judgments. That is good news in an increasingly violent, dark world. Hope to see you guys tomorrow. Be in the office. Wouldn't feel any good earlier today. So hope to see you tomorrow.